Hey guys, if you've got your Bibles, please could you open them to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, we'll be reading the first 10 verses. Use that as a launch pad into where we're going this morning. Um, I don't know if you've ever kind of wondered what you hope for and what, what hope is. Uh, but there was an event, one act, one moment that impacted history so much that um, it now gives us one hope and uh, will eventually bring us to being one tribe. And, uh, and I thought, I'd just let me just try and work out a way to explain a little bit about what that means is by way of introduction. And there are events that happen in the past that have significant impact in uh, the present or in the future. Uh, a couple of thousand years ago was a genius who lived by the name of Archimedes. Who's heard of Archimedes before? Some of you have. Yep, yep. So one of the things that he was well known for was um, learning and teaching mankind basically how to pump water uh, from a place of um, or from a place down there to a place up here, and the way that he did that is he created what is called the Archimedes screw, and it kind of looked like a really big corkscrew in a tube, and and you'd turn it from the top, and as you turned it, so it would bring the water up and it would pour in. You remember that when you learned about um, Egypt, uh, you remember kind of pictures like that on the side of the Nile and um, and what that looked like. I was really intrigued to find out that uh, the Tower of London um, in England is powered by two generators, hydroelectric generators, that use an Archimedes screw the other way around. So they lie the screws in the Thames, and as the Thames is flowing past, it turns the screws and turns the generators, and today, electricity is provided to the Tower of London because of some idea that Archimedes came up with thousands of years ago. Something can happen in the past which impacts the future. Jesus dying on the cross wasn't the only event, but Jesus rising from the dead definitely was. You see, that day, as I shared on Friday, there were three men who died on a cross, and it was normal. Thousands of people died on the cross, and that day three of them died. But we only remember the name of one of them. And why do we remember the day of one of them? Because he's the only one who rose from the dead and didn't stay dead that day. The other two, they stayed dead. Like, I want to say like good boys, but they weren't really there because they were good. They were there because they were bad. They stayed dead, but Jesus didn't. Jesus rose from the dead and radically changed the way that we do life and the way that life is done. So what does this mean for us? What does this mean for the direction of our lives? What does it mean for the way that life works for us? So I was just thinking, like, what does that look like? For some of us, life might look like this, and generally life goes like this. You know when you've got a, a mountain, and, uh, and, and it's, there's some fresh snow that's fallen on, on, on that mountain, and right at the top of the mountain, the, the snow kind of hangs over the side a little bit. Right? You know where this is going? When there's a loud noise or something falls into that, what happens to the snow on the top? It starts slipping down. And eventually it gains momentum. And it pours down the side of the mountain in an avalanche. And it roars down the side of the mountain. And depending on the size, it can wipe out trees, can wipe out villages, it can kill people as it comes roaring down the side of the mountain. Sometimes those avalanches look weak. Some of them look incredibly strong. A couple of years ago, there was one that came down Everest and wiped out base camp while it came down. But it doesn't matter how powerful an avalanche is. 
And it doesn't matter how loud it is, and it doesn't matter how scary it is. At some point, the avalanche comes pouring into the valley and stops. And you know what? Our lives are exactly the same. It starts when we were born, and we start to pick up momentum, and we start to take our way down the mountain. And sometimes the lives that we live, when people look at that, we go, wow, that person's got a roaring loud life. Wow, look at that. That person's life just gathered a whole lot of stuff. And look what they're doing. But it doesn't matter how big our avalanche is. It doesn't matter how loud it is. It doesn't matter how much it's gathered. At some point, your avalanche and my avalanche is going to flow down to the valley of the shadow of death. And guess what happens there? Nothing. It just stops right there. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Is when the avalanche of your life makes its way down the side of the mountain, does it just kind of randomly go down the mountain? Or have you allowed God to shape it? Because if you've allowed God to shape it, when your avalanche gets down to the bottom of the valley, you're no longer fearful of the valley of the shadow of death. Because God's there with you. And so the psalmist writes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of, the death, of death, I will fear no evil. And so I want us to think about that. This event that happened 2,000 years ago, how it shapes the course and direction of our life. Because if your life is in Christ and you've put your trust in that man Jesus who died on the cross and rose three days later, if you've put your trust in him, then it means this, that the valley of the shadow of death, man, that's just a launching pad into eternal life. Because you've got eternal life now. Not one day when you die, but now you've been given eternal life. And death is not death like it is for everybody else. Death Man, that's just part of it. We move into eternal life after that. So let's go to Matthew chapter 28 and let's take a look together at, uh, from verse 1 to verse 10. It's the story of how Jesus would reveal that he's risen from the dead. Um, I want you to imagine what it must have been like, Jesus, in, in that tomb. Uh, he rises from the dead and we pick up in verse 21. Now after the Sabbath, Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I love the way that Matthew writes, because they went to see the tomb, because that's all that was there. There was nobody in it. They went to see the tomb. And behold, behold, there was a great earthquake. When Jesus died, there was an earthquake. And when he rose again, there was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. <laughs> right? To roll this thing back. Such huge power. And then sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the gods trembled and became like dead men. You ever been in a place where you were so afraid you became like a dead person? Have you ever been so afraid? Perhaps you were in your house and it was night and somebody came in and you were so afraid you couldn't move like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, so the angel doesn't address the soldiers here. The angel speaks to the woman. There are four people there. The angel speaks to two of them, not the other two. The angel says to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen. And he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. 
kind of like when God works with us, the senses get all mixed up. See, I have told you. When you speak to your children and say, see, I've told you. You'd rather go, hear, I've told you. The angel goes, see, I've told you. Because when God works in your life, it's just everything. That's why. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear. Angel said, do not be afraid. They departed with fear. And great joy. And ran to tell his disciples. And behold, the third behold. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This time they go without fear. First time the angel, do not be afraid. They go with fear. This time Jesus, do not be afraid. They go without fear and great joy. And they tell the disciples and the disciples get ready and they go to Galilee and they meet Jesus. And this man that everybody thought was dead, he's not dead anymore and the world has a big problem. Because we thought this guy was dead. We thought we put an end to this. We thought we put an end to his teaching, thought Caiaphas, the high priest. We thought we put an end to his followers. Even later on, one of the Sanhedrin members will say, hey, let's not kill these guys over here because if this is of God, uh, then there's nothing we can do. If it's not of God, it's going to die out anyway. Let's just leave it. Basically, what he's saying is, guys, I want you to know if this is true, we've got a huge problem here. And they did. They had a huge problem because the man that they put to death didn't stay dead but he rose from the dead again. Friends, this Jesus, this one act back there, this one act that happened more than 2,000 years ago radically changed everything. That one act, that one moment changed everything as we know it now. And you'll remember on Friday, we, we listed a couple of these ways that, that um, Jesus' death on the cross had radically changed things. I mean, here's one of them, the way that he changed the way that we relate to children, the way that he changed the way we relate to education, the way that he changed the way we dealt with compassion and justice, or what about the way that we dealt with humility and forgiveness, or the way that we dealt with humanitarian reform, slavery, and the way that we treat women, or civil government and science and the arts. And some of you are like, what, what did Jesus have to do with science and the arts? Buy the book. Get the book and see how Jesus changed these things. How Jesus changed, and, and for many of these, these were birthed out of people who loved Jesus, who wanted to discover more about life together. But it also changed everything that is still to come. Jesus didn't just change the world we live in now, but because Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he's also going to change everything still to come in the future. You see, looking back, the fall fractured the, the world that we live in. So you imagine the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden, uh, here's Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve are walking around the garden and God says, you guys can do anything you like. It's yours. You have dominion over it. Well, the only thing I'm telling you is I don't want you to eat from that tree and I don't want you to, uh, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And then there's that tree over there, the tree of, of life. Those are the two things. Right? Stay away from that. Now, you know the story, one day Adam and Eve, they go in there and, uh, and there's a serpent in the tree and well, Satan's in the tree and he's like, hey, you know, why don't you have some of this? And Eve falls for it and then she gets Adam and Adam falls for it and both of them are eating fruit from this tree. And in that moment, 
that place where they fell from a position of authority in the garden and a position of right relationship with God, their relationship with God was fractured in that moment. The Bible says that our sin has separated us from God. And so we were able to have good relationship with God. Now that relationship is broken. God used to come and walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve. Now he's not coming to do that anymore. Relationship is fractured. But not only is relationship with God fractured, but relationship with self is fractured too. Here's Adam and Eve walking around the garden every single day. They have a great marriage, right? It's a brilliant marriage. Adam, he's not looking at any other woman, right? Eve, she's not looking at any other men. It's just because it's just Adam and Eve, all right? They're in the garden. Watch what happens here. After sin... God comes into the garden, and God goes, Hey, Adam, Eve, where are you? And they say, We are hiding. God's like, Why are you hiding? Because we're naked. God says, Who told you that you're naked? Where did you get that from? Where did you get that information from? Why do you suddenly feel so exposed? Why do you suddenly feel so so um, ashamed. Why do you feel like you have to hide from me, your maker? I made you like that. Yet you feel you have to hide from me? I made you. See, relationship with self got fractured in that moment. And from that moment on, human beings have been um, so self-aware. Human beings have felt ashamed of themselves. We've struggled with our, um, our egos of ourselves. We've struggled with our self-esteem. We've struggled with self-confidence about ourselves. And most of the problems that we find in the world today is because of that root thing. We're just broken people who struggle to accept ourselves. That started in the Garden of Eden. Fractured relationship with God. Fractured relationship with self. What about fractured relationship with each other? Adam and Eve. They've had no fights, a perfect marriage, no arguments at all. I mean, maybe the argument was simply like, should we go there to wait with God for God today? No, let's go there to meet with God. Okay, maybe that's as big as it got. Here comes God. Um, why did you eat from that tree, Adam? The woman you gave me told me to eat from that tree. Eve, why did you do that? The serpent made me do it. They go on and they have two children, Cain and Abel. And Cain kills Abel. And if you think you've got issues in a family, try this one. All right? Perfect marriage, fight, kicked out of your house, kicked out of your city where you live from. Two kids, one kills the other one. That's rough, okay? This is why we don't name our kids Cain and Abel anymore. We don't. Nobody does that. I don't know if you've got friends. You like you have twins? We call them Joshua and Caleb. We call them Rachel and Leah. We call them Peter and James. No one calls their twin kids Cain and Abel. Nobody does that. Okay? And if you have got friends who've said that, watch out for Cain. <laughs> Fractured relationship with each other. God, self, each other. And human beings are, are fighting with each other. Human beings are killing each other. Human beings are stealing from each other. It's not okay that we just sin against God, and it's not okay that we just sin against ourselves, but now we sin against God and ourselves and each other. So God says to them, he says, so because you've done this, I want you to know, Eve, from now on, every time you have a baby and every woman after you has a baby, there will be pain in childbirth. And Adam, I want you to know, food will not come easy anymore for you because now you will work. And from the sweat of your forehead, that's how you will eat. And so now Adam, from being having dominion over creation, now creation has dominion over him. 
from Adam are walking through the, the, the savannah lands and, and there are the lions and the cheetahs and he's walking amongst them. Now he's hiding from them. From swimming around with the crocodiles, I guess. I mean, the Bible doesn't say this, but I'm, you know, it's just in your mind. Can you see it? Before this, he's swimming with the crocodiles. After this, they're wanting to eat him because his relationship with creation is fractured. See, it wasn't meant to be like that. So that's why Jesus says later on, the lion will lie down with the lamb because relationship with creation will be restored again later on. And human beings, instead of looking after creation, have so messed up creation. We've polluted our seas. We've polluted um, our air that we can barely breathe in some countries. And yet we still go, it is okay. It is okay. And so Jesus comes. And Jesus starts to restore. The resurrection event restored fallen creation. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 4 speaks about this. Verse 5 says this. It's on the screen. It says, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He wants you to know that he's making all things new. That Jesus said, I'm going to complete what I started in you. It, it looks bad, but I'm going to change it and I'm going to make it new. So the best way to explain this, we're a sporting nation and uh, we love our sport. So I want you to think of the sports code that you enjoy watching. Could be rugby, could be netball, could be hockey, could be soccer, whatever it is. Whatever the sports code is. It's the World Cup final of your sports code, all right? There are thousands of people in the stadium, and it's being watched by millions of people across the world. Your team is in the final, and they're playing against another team in that final. And the game starts. And the first five minutes in, your team scores. It's a goal, a try, whatever it is, runs, whatever it is. They score. Things are looking good. You're going, we could win this. We could come out of this on top. We could, we could win the cup today. We could, for the next four years, be on top. We could get this. Except this one is the last final that will ever be played. So the one who wins this, they get their name written on the trophy, and no one ever gets their name after that. And then the other team come back, and they score. And then they score again. And now from you being two goals up or two tries up, now you're head to head. And it carries on like that. One, 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 one. And then nothing for the whole second half. And right at the end, you go into injury time. And then you go into overtime. And then you go into that silly time when it's like whoever scores now wins. We all want to go home. And in that moment, the last minute of the game, you're in their side of the half and the referee or the umpire, whoever it is, blows the whistle and blows a penalty against your team. And you're like, oh no. And everyone on your side of the stand, they lower their flags and they just know there is no way this person can miss the kick, can miss the penalty flick, can miss the, the penalty that get, you can't miss from where they are. And the time ticks by. And the person steps back to kick the ball or hit the ball. And the time buzzer goes off. It's the end of the game. 
And as they kick, the ball flies through and it lands in the back of the net, goes over the poles. There's silence on your side of the stand. It's over. You've lost. You will never be able to win this again because this tournament will never be held again. The team on the other side are going crazy. Their flags are going everywhere. They are, they're, they're throwing chairs up in the air on the other side. The referee, he's like, I'm gonna, I need to get out of here. The police come onto the field to take your team off because you know, they're in deep trouble because they're lost. The team on that side, they're throwing oranges onto the field that have been injected with Bowles Brandy. They're throwing oranges onto the field. And then out of nowhere, this little guy walks down the grandstand. And he walks down onto the field and he walks to the referee and he's like, the referee's going, and the, this guy's going, and the ref's going, and he's going, and the ref's like, he's going, yeah. The ref goes, and he goes, and then they walk away. And the ref blows the whistle, he's like, calls the captains. And everybody's like, what's going on over here? Your guys, a murmuring starts. Murmuring starts on the stand where you are. These guys are still celebrating on that side. The murmuring is starting over here. And the ref calls the whole team together. The captains call their teams together. And he starts to explain to them that the TMO noticed that the reason for the penalty was because there was another infringement before that. And the penalty shouldn't have been given, but they should play the ball again. And what was the end of the game now becomes the last play of the game. And so the scoreboard goes back and now it's even. And your team gets the ball. They put it in. Your team gets the ball. They take ownership of it, and they start making their way up the field. And it's one phase after the next. Three, four, 22, 28 phases. Eventually, they're on the line, and your team squeezes over and puts the ball over the line or just squeezes the ball into the net. And the ref blows the whistle, and that team on the other side, from being this noisy team screaming and shouting, now suddenly there's silence and your team is going ballistic on your side because you've just won fair and square. The ref looks back at the TMO. Everyone's looking at him. Can we play this again? They're going, can we play this again? And the TMO's looking. He's like, finished, finished. They won. Right, it's done. It's finished. Everybody's going crazy. Friends, that's what it was like in the tomb. That's what it was like in the tomb on Saturday night. On Saturday night in the tomb, you had the demons. They, they're looking into the tomb and they're going, we've won. He thought he would win, but we won. The angels in heaven are looking going, God, what have you done? He's dead. The one you sent to save humanity, he's dead. Satan and all of his demons, they're cheering. They're having a huge um, party on the other side. And Jesus is lying on that stone block. And I don't know what it was like, but I can kind of imagine as Jesus rose from the dead, he, he rose from, like some of you rise from your sleep. You know, in the morning you're like, oh, the alarm's going off. When you get up. I don't know if he rose like my daughter. Like, oh, I'm ready for life, you know? I don't know. I think, I think Jesus might have, like, I don't know, like, oh, it's been three days here. And I think one of the demons might have said to Satan, oh, master, did you see him move? Satan's like, woo Master, he moved again. Master, keep quiet. Master, he just moved again. What? 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 Look in there again. He's looking in. And Jesus sits up on the side. And all the hosts of hell are silent. 
Still the hosts of heaven are like, what's going on? And Jesus steps up. And God looks across at one of his angels and he nods. The angel goes down and he rips that stone off the front of that tomb. And he sits on top of it and he waits for Mary and Mary to come. And Satan and his demons realize it is finished. It is over. You don't get to play this game again. The one you thought was dead, he's alive. Things have changed. And Jesus comes and he restores fractured relationships that you and I had with God. He fixes that relationship. Our sin separates us from God. Jesus comes and says, I will pay for that sin so that we can be forgiven and have relationship with God again. He looks into us and he says, I want you to know your sin has been forgiven. Your identity is not in who you are. Your identity is in who I am. And if you are in me and I am in you, then we are in him. And so you don't need to see yourself as this rotten worm of a sinner, low self-esteem, no self-confidence anymore. Get your confidence from me. I'm the one who died on the cross for you. I've given you a new start. And he restores not only relationship with God, but relationship with self. He says, hey, and if you're still struggling with that, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you and I will keep walking with you every single day. And then he says to his disciples, hey, you saw me come and serve. Now I want you to serve one another as well. And the way I loved you, I want you to love each other as well. And that had never been said before. We didn't, humanity didn't do that. Humanity didn't love each other before then. Humanity was like, I take whatever I can and I kill you. And Jesus goes, no, now you love each other. Now you love each other. And if you do that, all mankind will know that you're my disciples. So from that day, slaves and uh, free men and men and women and Jews and Greeks and rich and poor have sat together in buildings like this and worshipped Jesus together and loved each other together because Jesus comes to restore fractured relationships with each other as well. And then Jesus says this. Mark picks this up. Matthew didn't, but Mark did. In the Great Commission, Mark picks this one up. He says, therefore go and preach the gospel What's the gospel? It's the good news that, we got, that, that, that wasn't the end. It's the good news that Jesus rose from the dead. It's the good news that that team thought it was over, but our team, sorry, our team thought it was over, but actually it wasn't. And no one gets to play this game again. It's finished. We win. Jesus wins. Done. Yet we still got to get the other team off the field, but we won. That's it. That's the gospel. Jesus says, go and preach the gospel to all creation because Jesus wants to restore relationship with creation. And actually, church, it is our responsibility to be the green warriors. Actually, it is. We are the ones who should be preaching the gospel to all creation. And so Jesus comes and he restores relationship with God, self, others, and creation. See, there's two reminders that we can get out of this today. From this one act and this one moment, comes one hope and one tribe. And I love what Vickers shared this morning. I love the way Vickers just shared about how I had this bad day and, and stuff went bad and, and I came before God and God was like, no, 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 no. You're not going to wallow in this bad stuff. You're not going to wallow in how, how bad it can be. You're not going to wallow in how, uh, how bad the world has been to you. I want you to know that I have restored that. It is new. There is forgiveness in this. I am making all things new. I'm making Jesus didn't say, I've made all things new. I'm making all things new. We're in a process. I'm making all of this new. 
1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 to 5, speaks about this hope that we have. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Did you get all that stuff in there? Like if you're a preacher, you're going, I can preach 14 sermons on that right there. To an inheritance that is imperishable. You ever inherited something? Your grandfather had a car. You used to sit in the back when you were six years old. He was always old because you were always young. But actually, he was probably only 40. <laughs> and he used to drive you around in that car. And he passes away when he's 80 and he leaves the car to you. And it's your prized possession. You keep it in the garage. And you show your son it and you show your grandson it. And one day when you die, you will it to your grandson. It's gone from your grandfather to you and now it's going to your grandson. But by the time he gets it, it's not the shiny new car anymore. It's really just a bucket of rust. Or that wedding dress that belonged to your great gran that you used to keep in that kist. And now your daughter gets married and you take out the wedding dress that belonged to your great grandmother, belonged to your, another one belonged to your grandmother, then one that was your mom's and one that was yours. And you say to your daughter, my love, all of these become yours today and you will put yours in the same kist as all of this. But hers looks so brand new. But the one that belonged to your great grandparents, you can barely hold it because it's falling apart. Because we inherit these things that they fade away and they, they wear out. Here it says this, this inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it's kept for you, not in a kist at the foot of the bed, but it's kept for you in heaven by God, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Your inheritance is being kept there. Friends, that's what we hope for. That's where our hope is. And this hope that we have, it's not a wishful thinking. I don't know, you know, sometimes you're like, you wish, I wish the rand would get stronger. I wish the rand and the dollar would be 1-1. One, one. That's like wishful thinking. I wish, uh-uh, never going to be that. I wish. I w Some of you children, I wish that I get chocolates today in my house. Some of you, your parents are like, no way. We're not giving any chocolates. Yet you still believe that. And when you go home, you're still going to go look for chocolates at home. Your parents are like, let's see, we're going to put carrots out this year. But you're still hanging on to that. Sometimes you, you write an exam and you're going, I wish that when the teacher marks that exam, they see all my wrong answers as right. Tick them all right and give me an A. I wish that would happen. But sometimes the thing that we wish for don't come true. They just don't. You see, the hope that we have in Christ is a hope that always comes true. It always comes true. Our hope is in one who did it. Our hope is in one who died and rose again. And he says, if you trust me, I will give you this. If you trust me, I will give you eternal life. If you trust me, I will give you forgiveness. Why can I trust him? It's so easy. I mean, he rose from the dead. I can trust him. This, this hope, 2 Corinthians, says that it gives us boldness. This hope that I have in Christ gives me boldness. I'm bold because of this hope that I have. I can have boldness as I walk into the office, as I walk into the school classroom, as I walk into the, the dining room with the family that don't know Jesus. And I feel like I'm the only one who does believe in Jesus. Where do I get my boldness from to walk in there? The hope that I have in Jesus. That's where I get it from. 
the hope that I have in Jesus. And what's my hope? Is it wishful thinking? No, no. This is a secure, sure hope based on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. This hope is so tied up to faith. In Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, the writer says this, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for. Not wishing. It's not, it's not like faith is wishing for something. There's no such thing as blind faith. Did you know that? As believers, biblically, there's no such thing as blind faith. Our faith is based on something. It is based on this fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We are sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And friends, that's faith. Jesus says, you can come to me and I will forgive you. It gives us hope, great hope. But it also, watch this, he has the practical outworking of this. We will become one tribe. While we have this great hope, I want you to know, we live in a flawed world. The world we live in, it is not perfect. Jesus said, I'm making all things new. And guess what? The world is catching up. And if you think that the world is going to get better and better and better, I want you to know you're sadly mistaken. There's going to come a day where God destroys this world that we live in. The Bible says with fire, and he's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's not going to put a plaster on this one and then give it back to us to live in it forever. He's going to create something brand new. That's what it's going to look like. And so while we live here, we will experience pain and suffering. We will experience loss. In the morning service, I was sharing a story with uh, the, the 8 o'clock. I was sharing a story with the 8. Uh, Joe and Alyssa. Joe is one of our pastors on staff. He's um, uh, overseeing the, the church plant in Cambridge West. Joe and Alyssa take a week off. They go and visit Alyssa's parents in, uh, in Durban. And uh, on one night, they decide that they're going to go visit some friends. So they take Alyssa's mom's car and they drive to visit some friends. When they get to their friend's house, they open up the door and they get outside. And there, there are men with guns pointing guns at them and saying, give us your phones, your wallets, and give us the key for the car, and don't make a noise, or else we'll kill you. Did I tell you that this was a pastor? Surely, where's Jesus? Did I tell you that his wife loves Jesus and serves Christ? Surely, where was God in that moment? Friends, we live in a world that's flawed. We live in a world that is just not perfect. And I've spoken to some of you, told me that my house was robbed last week. One of our elders goes on holiday. The day he goes on holiday, three hours later, his house gets burgled. Three hours. Three hours later. Friends, we live in a fallen world. But I want you to know, it's not going to be like that forever. We live in a world where people hate. We live in a world where people call for revenge, where people abuse each other. We live in a world where we generalize on differences and not on similarities. But I want you to know, there's going to come a day when all of this changes. Revelation 7 and verses 9 to 10. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, every tribe, and every peoples, and languages. And that's a serious number right there. I saw this number before me. We're all used to, this, we're all used to looking at great numbers over the last couple of weeks. We've been watching for them on E! News. We've been watching on ETV, SABC. We've been, we've been looking for great numbers. Let's see where the great numbers come from. Let's see where they go. Last week, we saw great numbers with red T-shirts and yellow T-shirts and blue T-shirts all together, the whole lot. And I want you to know the Bible says it's going to come a day when there are people from all nations coming together. Listen to what he says over here. They'll be standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in what color? White robes. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue 
white robes. That speaks about forgiveness, that they've, they've, they've been saved by the blood of Jesus. With palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Friends, I want you to know that event that happened 2,000 years ago, Jesus is making all things new. And it's not over today. You've got something to look forward to one day. One day we stand before the throne of heaven. We stand with all the nations, all the tongues, all the tribes. We stand together in one new tribe. One new tribe. I love to talk to people who, who work abroad and people who work with different cultures. And I love to ask, so what are some of the things that you learn from that? And I've learned this, that in some cultures it's offensive if you don't give your business card at the end of the conversation. Some cultures it's offensive if you take the business card before giving yours. Other times it's offensive to take the business card and put it in your pocket. You actually have to hold it and stare at it. You don't have to read it. Just stare and nod your head. That's all you have to do. In some cultures it's offensive if you arrive early. In others it's offensive if you arrive late. In some cultures it's, it's offensive if you don't take a person to a meal first. In other cultures it's offensive to just eat. You need to do business first. In some cultures it's offensive if you don't burp after the meal. Man, how cool would it be if everybody's culture was just like mine? How cool would it be if everybody approached the world with my worldview? Would be great, Vickers. Huh? My, I'm not talking about our shared worldview. I'm talking about mine, only mine. There's going to come a day when we stand before the throne of heaven and everyone around you will have the same worldview as you. Do you know why? Because you'll have the same worldview as Jesus. We will see the world and we'll see the nations and we'll see the tribes and the tongues like Jesus. And we'll all understand each other and there'll be no more misunderstanding anymore and we'll all love each other fully because now we see fully. Friends, that's what we've got to look forward to. Until we get there, man, humanity's going to stumble around until Jesus comes back. But one day, one day, a new tribe, new tongue, you'll be able to stand there and you can look across to the Portuguese guy who you remember because when you were on holiday in Mozambique and you decided that well, that Sunday you were going to go worship in church and you walked up to a palm tree church and you walked inside and you couldn't understand the language and you didn't know what they were talking about, but you were like, man, there's something here. There's just something about this because you were one. You were, you were something that you shared. You look to this Portuguese guy and you're going to go, hey, one tribe. You can look across to the French person on that side. You can go, hey, one tribe. And you can look aside to the other side. And it's going to be Afrikaans guy and a Zulu guy looking at each other going, one tribe. You can look across to the other side over there and there's going to be some Indian guy and some Pakistani guy who came to know Jesus looking at each other going, one tribe. And you're going to find the Jewish guy who gave his life to Jesus and the Palestinian guy who gave his life to Jesus looking at each other and smiling and going, one tribe. Friends, that, that act on the cross, it doesn't only change everything here. It also changes everything one day. Jesus said, behold, I'm making all things new. And when he makes us all things new, and he brings all things together and makes one tribe, friends, that's the picture of what the Trinity is. That's the unity of the Trinity. Three in one. It's the reality of Jesus' command to love one another. It's, uh, it's God's, God's intention at creation, creating this beautiful harmony where we can be together. And the Bible says that 
God will one day create a new heaven and a new earth. And then the writer of Revelation says this. He says, And then I saw from heaven, coming down from heaven to earth, the new Jerusalem. You just read that over there and just read some of the, the dimensions of that. I mean, it's insane. It's like 1,200 kilometers wide, 1,200 kilometers high, and 1,200 kilometers wide. It has a wall around it that's 65 meters high. And the voice comes out of the new Jerusalem, and this is what the voice says. Now the dwelling of God will be with man. And I will be their God, and they will be my people. And this chasm that was between heaven and earth is now God is there. And we live on this new earth forever, one tribe together. Behold, I'm making all things new. On Friday, we celebrated this meal together. We remembered the death of Jesus and how it changed the world that we live in now. Jesus said, every time you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Today, we come around that meal over there and we celebrate together that Jesus said, I'm not done with you yet. Behold, I'm making all things new. It will be new. Hey, this world you live in, it's fallen and messed. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to hurt people. You're going to misunderstand people. You will continue to sin until the day you die. And I know some of you are like, oh, speak for yourself, Pastor. Okay, I will. But I want you to know that Jesus says, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not finished. I have more to do. And one day, I'm going to wrap it all up. So we're going to come around this meal. And uh, we're going to reflect on Jesus. And we're going to just think about what that's going to be like. And I want to encourage you to fan into flame some of that faith excitement of what it will be like one day. The people you will be reunited with because Jesus rose from the dead. Others, death is not the end for others. You will see them again. Because Jesus said, I'm not finished with you yet, that he will bring you to completion. We get to fan into flame the excitement of celebrating Jesus rising from the dead. Jesus, thank you for your obedience going all the way, holding nothing back, being vulnerable before the Father and even saying, if there is any other way, but not my will, your will be done. Thank you, Jesus, that because you rose from the dead, you've made us new and are making everything new. We bless your name this morning. And we thank you for your goodness and your kindness to us. Lord, help us to, to remember the hope we have in you. And that beyond this, when the avalanche of life will come to an end, that on the other side there is great hope and great new tribe, one new tribe, your people forever. In Jesus' name and all God's people said amen. 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 God bless everybody.